Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the uh, teaching team here at LBCF. It's cool, good to see everybody. Been gone for a super long time with the family, but I uh, had an awesome time away, and it's good to be back with you all. Uh, I am not the speaker today. Uh, however, I did want to take this opportunity to bring up a gentleman that he hardly ever gets introduced. And no, this is not vengeance for the many times that he's introduced me or anything like that. I'm not going to get him on like that. I don't have a whole... I don't have a whole catalog of names uh, like, like he's given me. I don't know. I can call him, I don't know, the master of disaster or <laughs> the, the Count of Monte Cristo. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not that creative. But here's what I'll tell you. And before I do, I do want to read this particular verse, and then I'm going to bring him up. Uh, it is in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. And I had it here, and it just totally went out on me. I'm sorry to take up a lot of you. There it is, right there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And it says this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. One of the things that I know about Ryan is that he loves this community. Not only does he love this community, but that love is demonstrated by how hard he works. Behind the scenes, you know, when we, you know, think about typically pastors and, you know, a lot of times they preach the majority of the time or however times. And uh, honestly, for those that know, uh, you can identify with this. That's the easiest part of the job. You know, when we talk about what happens after service is done, to next Sunday, everything in between, that's where the hard work begins. And I would say that Ryan has done a wonderful job in stepping in and doing the hard work behind the scenes to make sure that we as a community are able to truly make an impact here in Long Beach. And so with that being said, I have no greater honor, no greater joy to introduce some of you for those that are new excuse me for those that are new welcome but for those that are familiar let's all take this opportunity and and if you're able to stand please stand if not that's fine too and let's take this opportunity to welcome up our speaker and teacher our pastor Ryan Lawnecker strange. Um, I will Venmo you later. I don't know how much I owe you. Yeah. <laughs> I was really expecting like the quads of, of the, of the quadra, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I have so many for him. 
Um, but um, it wouldn't have made as much sense if I'm not ripping out of my shirt like you are today. Um, how is this? It's ringy, right? Is it good? Everything's good? Okay. All right. That was, I, I have a different intro here planned than that. So I'm, I, I need to like take a breather and recover. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan. I am the teaching pastor here. Um, I do love this community very much. And um, I have the best job to be able to come here and present the word and to be able to lead our teaching team. Um, I believe that for all of the things that exist in a world, a really healthy, beautiful understanding of God's word leads us into truth and it leads us into beauty. It leads us into justice. It leads us into caring for each other. And so being able to do this is a passion of mine. Um, before we start, though, I want to tell you something that happened this last week or me. It was last Thursday. One of the best parts of parenting, if anyone is a parent in the room, you know that one of the best parts of parenting is being able to hear what the hamster wheel in their brains churns out um, at any given moment. Um, and very often it, you're trying to just find out how does this make sense to you? Why did those ideas combine in your head? Um, and I had a really great quote come about this last Thursday, but it reminded me of some, some gems that I have from Lexi's childhood. And she's given me permission to share these because I think that to withhold these from my church community would be horrible. When Lexi was five, five, she said, you can't squeeze a bird or you'll hurt its tweets. Okay? You can't squeeze a bird or you'll hurt its tweets. Chef's kiss, like that, it's concise, it's perfect. At eight, Lexi said, is it just me or does it smell like jelly beans and hamsters in here? <laughs> I don't know. My guess is it's just you, but at the same time, perfect. Again, a gem. And then about a couple months before I would eventually propose to Vanessa, her, her crowning achievement is... Ryan is the coolest and should marry my mom. So she also speaks the truth. I am the coolest and I should marry her mom and I did. And um, so all of that to say my first point that has nothing to do with living like Jesus is that if your kids say things that are ridiculous, write them down because out of context, they're so much funnier and better. And so... Um, yeah, that reminded me because this last week on Thursday, both of my girls were sick, and, um, and I'm a bit more old school in that if you are sick or if something is wrong, I'm more of the spray Windex on it, drink some water, go for a walk. You have a broken leg, spray some Windex on it, like whatever, like I'm, I'm a little more skeptical to believe the reports of kids that say, I'm sick, I want to stay home from school, because I know my own shenanigans. I know how much I want to call in sick, and oh, this cough is coming on. I think I need to sit this one out. Um, and so Sierra was actually 
sick and she ended up staying home. But the minute that we called her school and said she won't make it in, uh, it, was, it, was, it was comedic timing how from the other room I heard, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And I think when Sierra says that, you tune in because you never know what might come out. What is the good and bad news that's happening here? And she said, the good news is I, there is no bad news. I feel better already. And so for me, as I knew that I was going to then have to share the house with a child that was um, feeling better already at 8.22 a.m. Um, to prepare the message today, it, it hit me when we're talking about the joy of Christ and we're, when we're talking about Christian joy, how many of us can actually resonate with that? I wish the good news would just be that the bad news would stop. I just wish there would be no more bad news. So when we're looking at the joy of Christ, how many of us in this room have had to make a choice to just walk away from the bad news for a time. Even if no good news is flowing in, sometimes we just need relief from that bad news. Wouldn't it be good news if there was just no bad news? And let's get a slide. So right after I heard that, I was like, well, as a practice in my pastoral training, I once heard that a, a, a Good pastor holds a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And so I started to become more tuned into what was happening in the world. And so I went to my news eat here, and it's going to be really hard to see unless somebody's got better eyes than I do, which is probably everyone in this room. But um, I can't tell. I know that I've looked at this slide before, but when I was looking at this, it was like to find the good news in the world, this was just a snapshot of Thursday morning at 8.23 a.m. And I was like, to find the good news was like, where's Waldo? It was like, I, you have to search for it. You would have to suss it out. You'd have to really look hard for the good news. And so somewhere in the mid-2010s, I stumbled upon this, this other um, news feed. It's the next slide, and it's this uh, site called Upworthy, and I'm not sure if any of you have heard of it, but their whole feed is just, they gather the positive news that exists, they do the hard work of actually pulling out what is um, happy or joyful, and they post just this, it's just a huge news site of all positive, right? And so, <clears throat> as I was reflecting on it, though, it seemed really un alternate to me that you, you have to pick. You either look at the reality of an earthquake in Turkey, which has killed over 25,000 people, and you look at the pain and the grit and the hard things that actually exist, or you have to talk about somebody called the goose whisperer and somebody that makes pretty pictures of squirrels and acorns. Like I either have to pick looking at the reality of the pain and the huge things that are happening in world or I have to distract myself with these peripheral, these fluffy sort of stories which are inconsequential because I just want to look at something positive and it seemed really sad to me 
that we ha- it seems like we have to pick. And so it begs the question, what parts does joy play in our Christian life when I believe Jesus calls us and challenges us to look face on at the real world as it exists? We are meant to, pe- to be people who suffer, but suffer well. That we mourn, but not as those that don't have hope. The Christian refrain seems to be face life, but there's something. There's going to be something underneath that will empower you to do it in a way that is better. That will learn how to engage the realities of life in a way that even in the lowest points, there's some way some trick, some life hack to where we can access joy. And what if I told you that the biblical witness, the Psalms, and most importantly, the life of Christ shows us a way of living that never avoids one in order to gain the other. It never avoids the realities of joy and things that are positive and just stews in the Negative, and it never distracts itself from the negative so that it can be happy. It's never, it's never choosing between the beauty of the squirrel person with the acorns or the realities of terrors of earthquakes and, and pains and, and um, frustrations that actually exist. There's something that exists in our brains, and it's called a negativity bias. And I'm I'm going to explain, and if you've been in our community for any, um, for more than a couple years, you've probably, you've probably heard Pastor Brandon talk about this, that our brains treat positive experiences like Teflon and negative experiences like Velcro, that there's actually something in our brain, and anybody in the room, you don't even need to have a scientific report to prove that that's true. How many times do we end our drive home, and the one thing that is, that is just on our craw is, is that person that cut us off. It's that one negative thing that happened at work. It's that one frustrating interaction that is overriding our brains. And we're focusing on that one thing that has us just frustrated. We don't need... Thankfully, there are scientific studies that show why that is, and it's that our negative experiences fire about five times as much neural activity as positive. When something negative happens to us, our brains activate five times as much, which means if you just want an even balance, you would need to have five positive interactions for every one negative. And you would also need to reflect five times as long on the positive things that happen to you as you do negative, which means there would need to be some amount of intentionality, that joy, the Christian joy that we experience, the Christian joy that we, that we see and that we will talk about involves a fair amount of intentionality, that it will not just happen to us, that it is something we can engage in and practice. And so if you have your Bibles, and I say that each time, and then I make the joke that I never hear paper, somebody flip paper for me and just pretend, because we're going to Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you. I hear all these like flyers and pamphlets. I'm like, doesn't even sound like Bible pages anymore. Um, okay, I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. So, this is verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. Some translations call that the author. The pioneer, author, and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are in Hebrews chapter 12. One of the perks of my job is that I get to study God's word. I get to listen to amazing sermons throughout my week. That is like one of my job requirements is to listen to good teaching and glean from that. And so I went and I tried to find, um, I always try to find sermons that are, that are old, that as old as, as are recorded to see how have people talked about this topic throughout time. And I also try and find something that is as new as possible and then people I respect. And so I, I really sit and I, I sit in what is it that people have talked about the joy of Christ over time. And if I'm being honest, there was a moment where I got a little discouraged this past week because it seemed the more I heard, and there's a very uh, distilled reader's digest version with a lot of repeated same points that Christian joy isn't about happiness because happiness is based on happenings. And I heard some of the same things being used over and over again. But one of the things that started to sit in me and something that I have not been able to get away from very well is that it seemed the more we talked about Christian joy, the more that it seemed to become something that we actually don't get to enjoy. Christian joy started to become more of a concept that we just talk about in our heads, and it became this ambiguous sort of like, yeah, it's not happiness, because happiness is happenings, and joy is a choice, and all of these things. And I'm like, okay, but if all joy is, is gritting my teeth and pretending everything is okay, if that's all that Christian joy is, honestly, no thank you. I have enough of that. I have enough. I can do that on my own. Do you know what else I don't need? Is that this is advice that I don't need. But for the joy set before him, him in this instance is me, but for the joy set before Ryan, he ate the tray of Korean barbecue boneless chicken with secret sauce. I don't need help on how to have joy in that moment. I know how to do that well, too. But for the joy set before him, he did something that he already likes. But for the joy set before him, he he ate really good food. He stayed later at the party. He had a great conversation. But for the joy set before him, 
We know how to do that. That's, a, that's right here. You grab it, you take it, it's easy. What I need to find out and what we need to look at is where does Christian joy call us to actually look at life in the face and not just pretend like everything is okay? And also, how do we not seclude joy into this place where things have to be happening in a certain way in order for us to actually partake in joy? How do we actually look at what is joy something that we can enjoy right now? Because I think that if we keep talking about Christian joy as this concept that never actually impacts us, I think we've missed the picture. Let's go back. Um, actually, right here is good. So it says, For the joy set before him, him being Jesus, he endured the cross, right? Joy was set before him, and he had to endure something. It, doesn't say he enjoyed the cross. He endured the cross. So sometimes I want, and I want to make sure that when we're talking about, about these things, that we don't transplant some weird mental yoga pose onto what's happening here. It's not saying that Jesus enjoyed his torture. It's saying that there was joy underneath. Something, something else was happening. Something more beautiful, something more eternal, something more permanent was happening that he was able to tap into that I want to be able to tap into. Something else was happening because he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And you want to talk about shame the shame is that I didn't really know what scorning meant. So I went to Google, and I was like, what does scorn mean? And <laughs> scorn is a, you consider something as worthless. And the beauty clicked on. The shame of the cross became worthless. He sapped death of its sting. That piece of pain that would have reached down and touched the most eternal part of who he is, the power was stolen out of it. The shame of the cross became worthless. The ways in which death on a cross could have been a shameful, hopeless act, something that Jesus tapped into in his joy allowed and actually stole the power of that moment. So, I've watched a lot of movies, and I'm not a very stereotypical guy in lots of aspects, but I really love, like, the Bravehearts and the Gladiators and the 300s. And when I watch these movies and I watch Leonidas or Maximus and I see them preparing for the battle ahead and they know that they're going to face certain doom and, and they're going to get overpowered and it's going to be this thing... I never even look for joy in that moment, right? Like, that's not even a, I never ask, well, is Maximus tapping into the joy in his life right now? It's like, no, no, he's, that's not even part of what's happening here. I wouldn't call it that. I would call it bravery or courage or grit, um, but I wouldn't look for joy 
because we've, we've sort of lost the, the ability to, to also understand that what we're being called to here is that the Christian joy that we see in James chapter 1 where it says, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you face various trials. And we've heard it over and over again. And I will tell you that even if you don't understand what we're talking about here, if you have a person in your life who is facing a trial, let me just throw it out there. Don't throw James 1 at that person. Because that means you don't really understand what James 1 is talking about. And I, that sounds very judgmental. So I'm, I, forgive me for how that just came across. But there is an aspect of when we talk about my brothers and sisters, count all joy when you face various trials. That was not something that we throw at other people. That's saying that as you engage, the Spirit's calling you to step into things which are painful, that you are tapping into something more eternal. And there's something that when you do that and you tap into something that is more real, there's joy to be found in that place for you. That is not something to push off the pain that other people are bringing to you. Like I said, again, and, we'll, and you'll see if you read the Bible, that joy and sorrow share the same space. And I know that to be true because it shares the same space in my heart. That they're not patient. They don't play well. They overlap and they interrupt. Joy will interrupt grief. Grief will interrupt Joy, they will, they'll happen at the same time. Have you ever been at a funeral for somebody that you loved and then some joyous memory popped up and you start talking with the people there about that moment and all of a sudden you're at this, this morose place and you're laughing. And somehow that laughter has tapped you into feeling the depth of how much you miss that person. Because you're able to step into the reality that both of those things exist in us. And we should not and cannot, without hurting ourselves, shut either one off. So in James 1, Hebrews 12, that the way that Christ endured the cross, something about what he tapped into, scorned its Shame. It stole the power. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your sting? Something about Christian joy actually steals the power out of these moments that would otherwise overtake us. It takes the sting. There's still pain. There's still loss, absolutely. But there's something about Christian joy that, that scorns the shame. And we are now talking about James 1. But before that, um, so that's Hebrews 12. I want to backtrack a little bit because Hebrews 11 is a passage where if you've heard me teach for any amount of time, I will, I will go through great lengths to force this passage into whatever I'm talking about because it's one of my favorite passages of all time. So let's go to Hebrews 11. So, this is continuing, okay? So, this, this is, uh, verse 35 is the continuation of something that just came prior. And so, Hebrews 
11 verse 1 through 35 is this list. It's called the Hall of Faith. Oh, also Super Bowl Sunday. I feel like it's like my job title to at least say those words. Okay, so um, now the first half of what's happening here, it says Moses by faith, and it lists these amazing things. Abraham by faith, amazing things. They escape the mouths of lions. They cross the Red Sea. And it's just this list of like, oh, man, I want that kind of faith. Like, this is great. This is what faith leads us to is good and power and Leonidas Maximus, like Braveheart. It leads us into these moments where we overcome and all of, and all of a sudden everything is better. And then it, without even pausing, oh, let's go back. Let's go back one more. It says, so it's, Moses, Abraham, everything's great. And then it says, without even skipping a breath, in the same sentence, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might join in an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and... Goatskins, persecuted, and mistreated. Next slide. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended. The Moses, the Abraham, the all of these people, also the ones who were tortured, who refused to be least they were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised so if you are in here and you are praying and you are hoping for something that has not come your way and it is it feels like torture and it feels like you have had a promise that has not been answered you're in good company Because none of these people received what was promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So the, there's a joy that we have to tap into that clues us into what's happening underneath all of it. And to allow us to anchor ourselves deeply when we find ourselves. Because honestly... There are moments where I would say, I don't care if I'm in this company or not. I want out. I want out of, I want out of this pain. I want this thing to end. I want this prayer answered. Lord, whatever you character you are working on in me, pause that. We'll pick it up later, and let's resolve this thing. I have that that exists in me, and I, I get impatient and sometimes the pain is too much. And I, I have to pause here and say, that's why we need Christian community. That's why we need each other. Because you aren't meant to just sit there and carry it over and over again. Let somebody to your side help you carry it for a while. When the cross gets too heavy for you to carry and you stumble and fall... Invite somebody to carry it for you a little bit more. 
Because we're not supposed to stop carrying our crosses. We're just supposed to invite other people to help us carry ours. And so sometimes it gets to be too much. And so the question that I keep asking is, are we just using the wrong word here, right? It seems like if you just took the word joy out and replaced it with uh, tenacity or you replaced it with uh, bravery, it would, it would feel the same to me, right? It would feel like, okay, you're just powering through when life is really hard. Are we just using the wrong word there? And I think the answer is no, because every moment where life is beating us up gives us an opportunity to, to latch on to two realities. God is near those who are broken. And the truest things about you are untouchable. The truest things about you are untouchable. Your place in God's hand is not up for debate with anybody. The truest thing about you, that heart that you have, your character, the things that nobody sees, that, that truest part of you that you have invested time into and you have tilled and you've worked at and you are a person of character, even though nobody understands that part about you, you, that part that says what you sow, you shall reap. And you've been sowing into this eternity for a long time and you've worked really hard and you have not asked for any attention or help. And those, those parts of you that are underneath that God sees, that is untouchable. God's got that in his view for you. So when life is full of pain, gives us a chance to tap into the reality that God is near. He promises to be near those who are broken. So Christian joy has a unique way of showing up, especially when things are tough. Because Christian joy is honesty, it is intimacy, and it is freedom. Christian joy is honesty, intimacy, and freedom. So I think that a distinction that has to be made here as well is that in James chapter 1, it says, my brothers and sisters, James is talking to Christian people who are working out their salvation. It is not to say that when people around us experience the, the general broken realities of life, Jesus does not kneel down next to the broken and say, find joy. Find joy. Come on, power through. Jesus kneels and he sits with and he weeps. The people who are weeping, Jesus does not say, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't you joyful? Don't you have faith? Like why... Weep, And any time that he, he asks people that, it's to call them to the attention of what's happening underneath. 
what's happening beneath these purpose. And Christian joy is being so tuned into the realities of eternity that nothing becomes more worthwhile than faithfulness. No temptation, no suffering, no threat, no fear, no terrible thing. Let's go to the Christian joy is slide. Christian joy is facing life as it is. There's no ask to run from the realities of what's happening. You don't have to stop looking at the pains that exist in your life anywhere else. You don't have to. Christian joy is, next, is realizing that the truest things about your life are untouchable. Jesus knew the Romans... Elders could torture him, but they couldn't stop him from sapping the pain of death out. They couldn't stop him from taking the shame of the cross and scorning it. They couldn't stop him. They also couldn't stop him from releasing the bitterness that he could have held when he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. They couldn't stop him from doing that. They could take his life, they could torture him, they could, they, could, they could spit on him, they could do all of these things, but the truest thing about him, they couldn't touch. Lastly, Christian joy is knowing God's love and grace is nothing you can unearn. His grace is new and it follows you. Scripture is full of people who, who are asking, asking the question over and over again, is there anywhere I could go to hide from you? And the constant refrain is no. God's love will meet you at your lowest point, and he'll be close to you when you are broken. That when you are suffering, he's close. He wants intimacy with you. Wow, Things will not change. And he's come and he came to earth. He incarnated himself as one of us to show us that even when his pain got horrible, that he would stay. He would not leave. And so there's an intimacy that is accessible to us in the middle of pain. And that should bring us great joy, knowing God is near me. That as I worry about my, about my children, God is near me. That as I strive to find some silver aligning about all of the things that are breaking our uh, relationships apart, and, I have, and I'm hopeless and I have no answers, and I just go, Lord, please be near me and that there's some there's a promise that he has made that I feel perfectly comfortable calling on and saying Lord you promise to be near me be near me Christian joy is facing life as it is realizing that the truest things about your life are untouchable knowing that God's loving grace is nothing you can unearn because it wasn't about you in the first place his grace and love came while you were running from him. It was chasing after you. So Christian 
Joy says, this hurts, but there's more to life than this pain. And it enjoys the freedom from this terror that this might all be for nothing. Christian, Joy says, I don't understand, but I believe God does and enjoys the freedom from always needing to know everything. Christian Joy says, I am weak, he is strong, and it enjoys the freedom from always feeling like you have to be strong all the time. Christian Joy forgives other people, and it enjoys the freedom from having to hold bitter resentments towards others. That's Christian Joy. It is unique, and I keep on repeating the phrase Christian a joy because it is unique, because it is, it is found in a person. This isn't just a practice. This is, this is us focusing in on the unique person of Christ. And as we look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, we see, a, we see that as he faced his own terror, he was able to tap into the fact that the truest parts about him were untouchable. And I don't always do this. And I struggle in all of this because I, 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 I have a hard time knowing, is now a time to latch on to joy? Or is now a time where all of these doctors in a room are telling me that maybe now is not the time to be joyful? It's hard to know what to do with that other than to say that Jesus, as he faced his cross, was able to tap into something happening under it. And at the same time, when things were painful with others, he sat with, we do not have to push off joy or sorrow. When we, when we, Take on when we open ourselves up to joy, we actually expand our capacity for sorrow. And when we open ourselves up to sorrow, we expand our capacity for joy. And so I have some questions that maybe as we go into our week, we can be just asking ourselves some questions. What is one thing going back to that, like we need to reflect on the things that are positive for us, not as like a, I don't want to look at the hard things, but like knowing that our brains latch on to negativity more, maybe just a practice. What is one thing I can pause for a minute, and I do mean literal minute, and give thanks for? Just picking one. If it's a person, if it's barbecue chicken, I will give thanks to that. Do I find more comfort in refusing to grieve or refusing to celebrate? Maybe just asking which, which parts of me do I hide? Um, because I know people who are like me, they probably ran away from grieving a lot more. But I also know plenty of people who find a lot more comfort in not celebrating. They're more at home in grief. What can I regularly give gratitude for that will never change? 
and coming up with a list of what is truest about you, what is true that we know about God, what are beautiful realities that exist in our world that we can reflect on and give gratitude for because maybe everything chaotic that is happening around you is preventing you from seeing things that are joyous and beautiful and it's at that moment that maybe we have to tap into what we know to be true deepest about us and say thank you lord that my salvation is in your hands that you know my heart thank you that you promise to be close to me when i'm broken and maybe just coming up with a a mantra that we just go lord thank you that you know the truest things about me that my salvation is in your hands and you know my heart and if that's what you need to just breathe into and remind yourself that that might be enough joy to tap into that you actually see that underneath all of it no matter what other people say about you no matter what else happens he has you in his hands and so we have an opportunity as a part of our rhythm each week here we take communion and this is also a beautiful reality that as we are talking about living like Jesus that one of the things that we do in communion is as we take in the bread and the wine and we say this is my body broken for you this is my blood poured out for you that it is a reminder that his life in us is not just this this thing that we hold out here not just these concepts out in our hands but as, but we actually take it in and we want his life to become our life we want it to be so intertwined with who we are that it's inseparable and practicing communion is one of the most beautiful reminders of what it means to take his life in. We want his life in us, our life in him. And so as we take communion, you can stand up and you can help. Uh, you can come up at your own pace. We also do bitter herbs. And we have the phrase, this is the bitterness of sin and and death and so if that is something that is new to you and you are not used to doing bitter herbs and you'd rather talk to somebody about why we do it before you do that feel free to just come up and we would hope that everybody feels at least free and available to take communion and so let's close in prayer lord help us to see um the way that the joy that is said that you actually saw in front of you. How is your joy something that we can enjoy now? Speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to not run from, from a joy. Help us to not run from sorrow. Help us to, to just own that they exist in all of us at all times and Lord that you promise to be close to the people when we are broken but for your joy Lord we thank you for the work that you've 
done for the ways that you see us and the ways that you've promised love and grace to us for how you hold us in the truest parts of who we are. Help us to be joyful people who are so anchored into the realities that exist below all of the things happening on this surface that we can, we can buoy others who are in despairing places. Lord, help us to tap into what you are up to here. And we thank you for the work that you did on the cross. And we thank you that you have called us to remember that through taking communion. Help us to be transformative in the way that we live and love in our neighborhoods. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.